Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Guardian. Last week, investigators in California arrested a man they believe is the Golden State Killer. A serial murderer and rapist whose crimes terrorized the state in the 1970s and 80s. A judge ruled that prosecutors can collect DNA and fingerprints from Joseph D'Angelo. So just last week, after decades on the run, he was tracked down in part by detectives who used genealogy websites. We're learning that DNA recovered from a double murder scene here in Ventura played a critical role in cracking the cold case. Investigators say that DNA was then plugged into the genealogy website that ultimately led to a former police officer, Joseph D'Angelo. In April 2018, a former police officer called Joseph James D'Angelo was arrested in connection with a series of murders, rapes and burglaries attributed to an unknown assailant known as the Golden State Killer. This 40-year-old cold case was reopened after investigators acquired a discarded DNA sample, so something like a piece of chewing gum or drinking straw that D'Angelo left in a public place, and uploaded it to an undercover profile on a genealogy website called GED Match. Through this, they were able to find distant relatives and eventually narrow down their search to match descriptions of the killer obtained throughout the investigation. The technology that enabled police to finally track down the man who they think is the Golden State Killer is so new that it wasn't around when he committed the crimes in California in the 70s and 80s. It could revolutionise the way that we solve crimes. D'Angelo's arrest has been cause for celebration, but it's also raising questions over how he was located and whether law enforcement has opened a Pandora's box with new DNA technology. Our DNA is one of the most inherently personal things we have, but this case raises questions about its privacy. If we spit into a test tube and send it off to a website for analysis, who owns that information? Who has access to it? And what can it be used for? The companies are revealing a large amount of information about a person's genetic background, which is private information, uh, and potentially could be abused if it gets out anywhere else. And why are human beings so willing to hand over our DNA? 
Americans thinking about privacy is highly contingent and contextual. It depends on the circumstances that they find themselves in, the nature of the bargain they're being offered, or the nature of the value proposition that they're getting from exchanging their information, and generally how they feel. So there are lots of factors that go into this, and it's not a kind of binary issue for Americans. It's either all privacy or all disclosure. It's very dependent on circumstances. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this is Chips with Everything. The concept of using DNA or forensic technology to solve a crime is not new. Investigators have been using DNA samples found at crime scenes to track down criminals for years. But just to get a brief history of how far we've come with forensic technology, I rang the program director for forensic studies at Baltimore University, Charles Tomosa. When I started, uh, ABO typing was the big thing, uh, believe it or not. And, uh, of course, the uh, home office over there uh, was really pioneering a lot of the work. Uh, That was just ABO and AB, four little slots you can put people into. And then as time went on, uh, it got a little more involved. They found more slots uh, using uh, uh, different antigens and uh, different polymorphic forms of enzymes. Then one day I was down at the FBI Academy and uh, Jeffries uh, from your side of the pond. Alec Jeffries had discovered how to produce simple patterns of the genetic material DNA as characteristic and invariable as fingerprints. He called them genetic fingerprints. Uh, Came over and gave a talk on uh, some of the work he was doing on DNA technology and uh, everything changed. The uh, audience was filled. It was the main auditorium at the FBI Academy, and everybody left saying, uh, forget about everything else. We're going to do DNA technology. Do you think we're having a similar situation now with this um, arrest of the Golden State Killer or someone they think is the Golden State Killer because of this DNA and this genealogy website account that they set up? Do you think that we're in a similar situation now where everyone's seeing that and going, yes, this is the future. This is the way we're going to solve crimes now? Uh, This isn't the first time it's been used. Uh, it's been used before. Uh, There are privacy problems with that. Some states will require that you get a warrant. You have to go to a judge and explain why you want to do what you want to do in a a DNA uh, database. Most companies will not let you, you know, even if you are the police, uh, they don't want you to jump in and and look through their files uh, without a warrant. I see it as a technology that's Again, double-edged, as I mentioned before. The other edge is, of course, that uh, we can look at uh, medical problems. There are a lot of uh, uh, tendencies towards disease that uh, are genetically controlled. Uh, I see the future as, you know, when you're born, somebody takes a little drop of blood from you, and we tell you you're going to be prone to diabetes, uh, cancer, uh, you know, fill in the blank. So uh, I think that's going to be done. And once that's done... Uh, it's going to be simple to say, well, we can look at uh, 20 little uh, loci, gene loci, and uh, we're going to find out who you are exactly and uniquely, and uh, we're going to put you in a database. Privacy is slowly disappearing, and I think at some point in the future it will be a a concept that's quaint and old and (laughs) uh, lost. So... Charles thinks that technological advancements will eventually result in privacy being a thing of the past. But can we really just blame technology? If anything, hasn't the case of the Golden State Killer shown that we can rely on human beings to willingly surrender their privacy in exchange for other information? 
Today we're talking about people who get DNA testing maybe for a genealogy website like Ancestry.com or MyHeritage.com. Have you ever done anything like that, like sent off your DNA to one of these websites to trace your ancestors? I haven't. I do know of other people who have. How do you feel? Denise Syndicombe Court is Professor of Forensic Genetics at King's College and has been researching forensic technology since 1990. Well, I understand why people do it. Um, it's really interesting to find your descendants and uh, ancestors. Mm. I don't know how useful it is. It's a bit like uh, astrology, really. It's not, uh, it's not particularly useful, but uh, people enjoy it. The problem for me is that the companies are revealing a large amount of information about a person's genetic background, which is private information. Uh, and potentially could be abused if it gets out anywhere else. Can I ask what you mean about it not being useful? Do you mean that finding out who your ancestors are isn't useful, or do you mean that the technology doesn't really work? People engage with these sites for different reasons, uh, and they may not have even really thought about the reasons, but it's quite often to find somebody in their family tree, and these sites are quite good at that. In some areas, they're quite good. Some people are interested in their ancestral background. Do I have... Have I got a Viking gene in me? (laughs) And that's um, pretty much nonsense. We all are probably descended from people who were Vikings a long time ago. Whether that's visible in our genes is just a matter of chance. And certainly if they go to different companies, they get different results, which really just reflect um, not how likely they are to be descended from a particular population group, but really how com- how like they are amongst the people who are currently living in those areas in their particular, the company's particular database. And that varies. Their databases vary. So you said that the information differs across the databases. Does that mean that we could say that the results aren't entirely accurate? Yes, they're not entirely accurate because they're just dependent on the people who have contributed their DNA to that database. After the break, Denise and I will talk more about what actually happens to our DNA once we've spat into a tube and sent it off in the post. I think I'm most concerned with the genetic information that we're giving away. So if people are making inference about a particular trait that anybody has, that to me is a danger. We'll be right back. Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. 
Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. ...wins ourselves, but we also write about our favorite podcasts from around the world, too. Every week, our column, Here, Here, that's here as in hearing and here as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Hear newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. Welcome back to Tips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Before the break, we spoke to Charles Tomosa, who gave us a brief history lesson on forensic technology. Because they're just dependent on the people. Then we turned to Denise Syndicombe Court to find out more about these DNA home testing kits. Can you explain for anyone who hasn't tried this themselves how these home testing kits actually work? Well, usually they come uh, in a kit which explains what you have to do and you have to deposit a certain amount of saliva uh, into into a tube and then you put it in the post and then you get the results back online. Okay. So obviously the more people sign up for these websites, the more people are sending in their DNA, the more this kind of DNA information is stored in huge databases somewhere. Um, Researchers have said that more than 12 million people have used these DNA home testing kits. So there's a lot of information out there. Who has access to it and what can it be used for? Uh, Well, I think you have to look very carefully at their terms and conditions. Uh, But my understanding is that while the genetic information that they provide you is yours, they have been given, well, you have paid them to collect um, your DNA. Now, I don't know what other uses they might make of that DNA. Potentially, that information or that material is very valuable to other people. I don't know whether they, they might sell it uh, or how that actual material is dealt with after that. Is it destroyed? Is it kept? Is it passed to uh, a third party? So in looking at a site's terms and conditions are really important. Mm. And this discussion has obviously become more relevant with the recent arrest of the Golden State Killer, or the someone who's thought to be the Golden State Killer, who was found by tracing his distant relatives through an undercover account on a genealogy website which was set up with a sample of his DNA. As the news came out, people have expressed concern about the privacy of all this kind of DNA data. Are they right to be worried? Well, they certainly need to be informed. I mean, the difficulty is that in order to find your relatives, which is really why people go onto these websites, your very many relatives might have, or might not have, deposited their DNA on different sites. So the difficulty comes, I mean, I think Jeb Match have recently said, well, you can you can destroy your this information. You can ask for it to be deleted. So that implies that, um, well, you go along, you put your information on the site, 
you do your search and then you get rid of it. So it benefits you and you're making use of all these other people who haven't destroyed their DNA. But it relies on people not destroying their information. So what are the risks then if somebody else gets hold of your DNA information or even a DNA profile built up of links of others? Well, I suppose police could use it for good purposes or not so good purposes. It's, um, uh, I mean, obviously, if any any sort of match or any inference made by the police um, results in them contacting somebody, then that, for me, is a problem because that person they contact is probably not involved in any crime and uh, they are having their privacy infringed. And a lot of the information is you know, it's information about our whole genome, in some countries, uh, it would be, uh, for example, in Germany, it wouldn't be possible to do this by the state because looking at somebody's genome is um, is illegal. But not here. There aren't any regulations here. I mean, I can't see... It wouldn't be very useful if it was done here. These sites like GEDmatch are very US-based and... Th- because of the size of the population there, the number of samples that have come from the United States on these databases, and the relatively lower proportion of the people who are on a police database, in comparison with with here, where we have very few people proportionately on these databases, and lots of people on the police database, it wouldn't be very useful to be done here. And anyway, I think it would only be done in very uh, particular circumstances. So now that people have started thinking about this kind of thing, and you've said, you know, people should read the terms and conditions, obviously, but is there any chance that we would see kind of wider regulation top down, maybe from the government, you know, in the UK or in the US? And how would that even work? I mean, so often these these sort of novel innovations come upon us and, and then we start thinking of the implications. Uh, and the implications might be substantial and different countries will deal with that in different ways Uh, and in the United States people are quite cavalier about testing other people's DNA Uh, whereas in the United Kingdom it's a it'd be a criminal offense for me to take a cup and test the DNA that was left on that cup unless it was authorized by the police yeah I could go to prison for two years for doing that. Well, it's completely different in the United States. They don't care. And uh, different countries, different jurisdictions have different feelings about the ethics of of these matters. So what are your biggest concerns to come out of all this? I think I'm most concerned with the genetic information that we're giving away. Generally, these are what we call single nucleotide polymorphisms that are uh, often have some sort of association with medical traits, which we may know now or we may not know now, but we may discover in the future. And these SNPs, as we call them, are not necessarily determinant of that trait. They just sort of tag along with it and in different areas of the world they different ones tag along so if people are making inference about a particular tray that anybody has that to me is a danger 
So in the US, for example, would there maybe be a risk that, um, you know, if your DNA suggests that you might have this disease, then maybe your healthcare would be more expensive? Oh, that's that's a strong possibility, yes. And yet the SNPs that have been associated may not infer that disease at all. Yeah, so, so there's a risk for discrimination then? Yes, certainly, yes. So Denise is worried about the broader societal issues that could come from using DNA uploaded to a genealogy website to solve crimes. But why aren't the 12 million people who actually use these websites more concerned? I'm Lee Rainey, Director of Internet and Technology Research at the Pew Research Center, and one of our main lines of inquiry involves the changing nature of privacy in the digital age. Lee co-wrote a 2016 report on privacy and information sharing and what it would take for many Americans to give up their personal information. And it turns out that the Americans thinking about privacy is highly contingent and contextual. It depends on the circumstances that they find themselves in, the nature of the bargain they're being offered, or the nature of the value proposition that they're getting from exchanging their information, and generally how they feel. So there are lots of factors that go into this, and it's not a kind of binary issue for Americans. It's either all privacy or all disclosure. It's very dependent on circumstances. Okay. And was there a point at which you found people stop being so willing to part with their information? So a point at which they start to just say no? There are interesting variations in people's answers to that. So different people have different bright lines that they wish companies would not cross or they wish the government would not cross. And it's not the same for everyone. So men and women sometimes have different answers and uh, African-Americans and whites have different answers. Young people and old people have different answers. But generally speaking, the information that feels most sensitive to people is things like their social security number or their national identification number. They don't like that information disclosed to anybody else because it's so central to filing for credit applications or seeking insurance or gaining employment or things like that. They also don't like their health information being disclosed. They're anxious about how this might affect their credit score or their capacity to get a job or even sometimes to even get a date. They also don't like um, sensitive family information. So secrets or, or things that are related to their children fall into a much higher degree or zone of sensitivity than information about other kinds of things. The things that don't matter so much are, are, are pieces of commercial information, the products I like, the services I like, the pop culture I like. Even things like their political views or their religious views aren't nearly as uh, important to people to keep private as some of those other things that I was describing. Hmm. You said there that people don't like their health information being shared. So why then do you think so many millions of people are willing to use these DNA home testing kits and send off their DNA in the post for these genealogy websites? There's always a, an interesting tension when people are thinking about what do I disclose about myself and, and what do I keep secret about myself. The exciting thing to lots of people who are sharing their genetic information and getting readouts on their genome from these companies is that they want to know who they are. They want to know where they came from. They want to know about their ancestry. They want to know sometimes what diseases they might be predisposed to get or what dangers uh, lie in their future. But 
again, this is the kind of information that a lot of people think is off limits to companies, and they certainly would want to have a separate regime of exchange on, should I share this information with a third party, or should it be allowed to be used in my credit score, or things like that. Americans are very, very anxious to control the information about themselves, even when they've released it to one entity, a government or a company, under specific circumstances. They are just not happy that it keeps getting sold to third parties and being used in ways that they don't quite understand to rank and rate and assess them. So now that this story has come out about the Golden State Killer and the way that people's DNA was used, do you think that'll deter people in future? We don't really know yet. One of the striking things that's happened since we began our intensive study of privacy is that there have been massive news events. I mean, huge data breaches. The, the entire um, personnel records of, of the United States government was, was uh, broken into. The Equifax uh, story captured tens of millions of people's national identity numbers, their social security numbers, and other information about them that can be used in bad ways. And yet, there there is not much evidence that people are stopping using the internet or stopping using their credit or debit cards or things like that. So it's, it's hard to know what would be the breaking point for societies on things like this. Before we sign off, it's time for our interesting tech fact of the week. Google has made it possible to get a machine to book your next haircut. In a new demo, Google has shown how its Google Assistant can make phone calls that will sound eerily realistic to the person on the other end. And a new update for the Assistant will also encourage manners. Children who sweeten their requests with a please will be rewarded with positive reinforcement in the form of a response like, thank you for answering so nicely. Cool or creepy? Let us know what you think. I'd like to thank Charles Tomosa, Denise Syndicombe Court and Lee Rainey for joining me this week. If you have any fun tech facts, questions or feedback on the show, and if you have any ideas for cool digital stories that we should cover in future episodes, email us at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. I'm Jordan Eric Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 